this episode, the Underwear Olympics, also known as the Combine. It's Thursday, not Wednesday, we know. I'm the columnist. I'm the analyst. And this is the Nick and Nolan Show. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. Just help me find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome to Thursday. I know, right? Weird. <laughs> yes. So as you all have probably seen either on Twitter or Buffalo Rumblings or just in your favorite podcast app, we are now a podcast that does not drop on Wednesdays. We drop on Thursdays and on Fridays. Double the Nick, double the Nolan, <laughs> double the fun. For at least the off season. Come with the regular season, whenever some of our peers and their podcasts pick up in frequency, we will go with the flow at that point in time. We'll see. We'll see. But we are here on our first week of doing a uh, two-episode week. And our first episode that is not on a Wednesday, we are going to be going through all of the Combine drills. So the Combine starts this upcoming Sunday, but the on-field drills, which is what we're going to talk about today, don't start until Thursday, Friday next week. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. On Thursday, you get tight ends, quarterbacks, wide receivers. On Friday, you get specialists, offensive line, running backs. And then Saturday, you get defensive line and linebackers. And Sunday, you get defensive backs. Got it. I got it. Okay. Most of the remaining offseason, what we intend on doing is – Having similar topics on Thursday, Friday, so kind of a part one, part two, might not always be that way. There may be times where we have two distinct conversations that drop on Thursday, Friday. This particular week, you're going to hear us talk about combine drills in both episodes, just for your awareness. Before we get into that conversation, though, there is something that I want to share with Bill's Mafia, and I hope that all of you will consider giving a little bit of your attention to. So Bruce and I are both out of Cleveland, Ohio, and we have some history, and, and I'm a founding member, and Bruce has been an active participant in the Cleveland Bills backers in Camps Corners neighborhood of Cleveland. One of the co-founders who helped renovate that space with me and Joel McAndrew, who's our president, was Dan Arndt. Dan is a guy who lives here on the east side of Cleveland, and helped us do uh, some of the artwork down in the basement. He, he painted freehand our big emblem, which you can see on a lot of the Cleveland Bills backers 
social media handles and stuff like that. And he, him and his wife actually operate the Cleveland Bills backers Twitter. Some of you may know, because Bruce and I have shared this on Twitter, that Dan's older brother, Matt, uh, unexpectedly passed away last month. Matt was 35 years old. He was an electrician in Buffalo. He was a marathoner, an outdoorsman, the peak of physical fitness, you might say. When he was out for a run um, around his neighborhood, he collapsed, was rushed to the hospital, and it was discovered that essentially he had an aneurysm that was previously undiagnosed, and it had burst on him. They were surprisingly able to stabilize him, and he recovered within some days and actually got to go home. Shortly after he was discharged and went home, he had a second aneurysm that burst, and he passed away. Matt leaves behind his wife, Kate, and his nine-year-old daughter, Maddie. Matt was also the breadwinner of the household, and Matt and his family had just agreed to purchase a house, actually, uh, a couple of weeks before he passed away. They were able to get out of that commitment because financially it's not something that they can, they can swing without him. 26 Shirts and our friend Del Reed uh, are doing a campaign right now that benefits Kate and Maddie and Matt's family and by extension Dan's family. The designs are actually really cool. I mean, it, it, it's a somber... It's a somber topic to talk about the, the, the family that benefits from this campaign, but the design is inspired by the traditional old school Adidas logo with the three bars, but the third bar, the highest one on the right, is of uh, a buffalo head, and there is a black and white one, a red and blue one, and a blue and gold one. So they are designed to mimic you know, the, the city's sports teams. Now, it is obviously a parody, and it's not affiliated with Adidas at all, but they're really cool-looking shirts. And the text underneath the three bars is the Adidas-style text, but it spells out Buffalo. So they're really cool shirts. And the cause that they benefit in this particular case is someone who's, you know, who's a friend, who's a loved one of, of Bruce and I. So for everybody out there who hasn't taken a look at 26 shirts recently, who hasn't seen this particular campaign and this design, please head over to 26shirts.com and take a look at it. Um, it would mean the world to Bruce and I if you were to purchase one of those shirts out of uh, support for the podcast and for Dan and for Matt's family and Kate and Maddie. Feel free to screenshot it and show it on Twitter and, and tag Bruce and I. We'd love to see it. And thank you very much for, for giving me a minute or two to, to kind of talk about that and share that with all of our listeners. You know, life is is fleeting and short, and we all know that and have experienced it in different ways. And unfortunately, Dan's family and Kate and Maddie have experienced it in the worst, some of the worst possible ways you can. So I don't really have anything else to say about that, but we will uh, go ahead and try to transition. Bruce, you've been watching the Combine for how long? How, how long has it been? I mean, maybe you know this off the top of your head or, or just give me a, what it feels like to you. The Combine was not always the spectacle that it is now. Correct. I mean, the NFL Network probably helped usher that in significantly. They did. 
they did help that usher in. When I first started following the draft, my first NFL draft was uh, Mel Kuyper yelling at the Colts for not taking Trent Dilfer and the who the hell is Mel Kuyper famous moment. Who in the hell is Mel Kuyper in a way? I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. Mel Kuyper has no more credentials to do what he's doing than my neighbor, and my neighbor's a postman. That that was my first draft. Um, And back then, the combine wasn't the spectacle that it is now. But as listener and as viewer interest in the combine and in the NFL draft in general has increased. I mean, for goodness sake, more people watched the first round of the NFL draft last year than watched the NBA finals. It's huge. And you have entire jobs and entire networks dedicated to the NFL draft. Now the combine has not always been it, but as the appetite for draft information has increased, so too has the the market responded. From start to finish, I mean, the Combine, from my understanding, you can tell me if there's anything additional that it's supposed to provide, but it is supposed to be a place where coaches, GMs, front offices, assistant coaches, all of that sort of stuff, the franchises, get a more hands-on experience with all of these different players who all come to one location, and they go through a bunch of physical tests— they go through a bunch of evaluations. I think there's some mental tests, right? The the Wonderlick is that distributed at yep. the combine? Okay. And a lot of it is to kind of provide you with the most up-to-date measurables right before the draft. Is that fair? Yeah, I think if you were to break down what the teams are trying to get from the combine, you can break it down to four parts. Number 1, medical. The part that is talked about the least but might be the most important is medical. Because colleges are really, really, really not forthcoming with some of the medical information. For people like LaVisca Chenault, for example, medical is going to be really important. And so medical is a big part. The second part is interviews. Now, you only get 15 minutes in a lot of these circumstances with some of these people. But you got to pick and choose and you got to do interviews. The third is on-field drills. Really important for... Players who you want to see do things you didn't see them do in college. So just because you didn't doesn't mean you can't. Really, really important. Let's stop right there. We're going to spend a lot of time on the draft in the next couple months. One of the hallmarks of draft evaluation is just because you didn't doesn't mean you can't. Devin Singletary is a great example of this. Was not used as a pass catcher. Right. Essentially at all. In Florida Atlantic. So now the box isn't crossed off, but it's not checked either. Okay, he wasn't used, but can he? And the Bills have openly said they sent a running backs coach down there and said, we're going to put you through pass catching drills because we know you didn't. We watched the film, but we don't know if you can. The combine is an opportunity for some of this stuff. Can I see how these receivers run these specific routes? Can I see how they do these different things? Can I see maybe someone who's a tweener? Can I see them run positional drills for a position that they didn't play in college? You know, can I see you do things that I didn't see on tape? And then the last thing is what we're going to be talking about a lot today, and that's athletic testing. This is the 40 
and the three cone and the short shuttle and all these things. That's all I like testing. So there's four things, medical interviews, positional drills and athletic testing. And those are the four things they're trying to get out of the combine. The interviews, is that whenever they say like they put quarterbacks on the whiteboard? Yep. Yep. You put them on there and then you might schedule them for a private visit later on and they'll come out and you'll do a little bit more in-depth stuff. But that's exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Is there anything that people build the combine up to as if it can tell us, you know, X, Y, or Z, but in reality, it 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 cannot give us that information. I think the biggest thing is they put the weight in the wrong spots. I think that the 40 has become sort of a pinnacle of the combine. And everyone wants to talk about 40 time. Everyone wants to talk about 40 time. And in some cases, that's important. And in other cases, it's not important at all. And I think too much was made of Devin Singletary's 40. You and I have talked about this ad nauseum. But is, you know, there are positions where 40 time is, okay, you know, he's not horrible. Just check the box and make sure he's not horrible. There's a there's a standard accepted threshold, you know, for different teams, for different athletic thresholds for different positions. And I think sometimes we ignore things like we ignore the short shuttle for some reason. I, I don't know why, but no, literally no one talks about the short shuttle. We talk about three cone. And last year, DK Metcalf ran the three cone worse than Tom Brady. Right? So, of course, we were all talking about DK Metcalf's three cone. But we don't talk about the short shuttle at all for some reason. And we should, especially when it comes to offensive linemen. We should talk about the short shuttle. And we don't talk about 10 and 20 yard splits, which we should. We don't talk about vertical, vertical and broad jumps. We don't talk about specific aspects of the bench. So I think more so than it not telling us things, it's that people have a tendency to to wait, I think, the wrong things coming out of it because the 40 is such kind of a, a spectacle. Okay. So let's go through some of the athletic testing that these players are going to be put through. Now, here, here's a quick question. Does every player do the identical athletic testing? It is available to all the players. Okay. So all the positions have those things all available. Now, the players can choose not to do certain things. But there are some that you, if you chose not to do it, it would be a detriment to you. Yes, sometimes. Or you're trying to protect something. So, for example, if you have a hammy injury coming in, you'll show up to the combine, right? And you'll probably do bench, but you just won't run. I won't, I'm not going to run at the combine. So you show up, you'll get measured, you'll do interviews, you'll do bench, but you're protecting a hammy in injury, so you're not going to run. That happens sometimes. So you won't really do any of the primary movement drills. Correct. Because you don't want to tweak your hamstring doing any of that nonsense. Correct. A great example. So um, Voshan Joseph last year, I, I mentioned this in my Buffalo Rumblings article, which you can go to buffalorumblings.com and find the Buffalo Rumblings article about combine drills. But Voshan Joseph, the testing was, was as bad as I've ever seen. It was terrible. But he was hurt. He probably shouldn't have tested at all. So you have scenarios like this where testing and trying to power through can actually harm you. Now, he didn't test at the combine. He tested a pro day. But the same rules apply is that if you're hurt, it would be in your detriment to actually do it because you're going to put stats out there and put numbers out there that don't have full health context. So for some players, they won't run. Ed Oliver didn't run the 40 at the combine last year, but he ran the 40 at his pro day. 
So, and these are all decisions that are made business-wise from players. A lot of times participation is simply a business decision from a player. If you think you're going to be a top five pick, why are you going to chance it? You know, and that comes from decisions from your agents and different agents handle this differently strategically. It's just the way it is. Okay. Can you give me an example of the most common position group that would not participate in a particular test? Is there like, you know, like uh, all offensive linemen, I'm assuming, are going to do the bench, right? I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. it's It, it shows you something that this player is going to be doing play in, play out. It's really an individual decision. It's not a position group thing. It's an individual decision, and it's primarily based on their conversations with their agents, and it's probably based on their health. So Ed Oliver not running the 40 at the Combine wasn't because defensive tackles don't run the 40. Defensive tackles run the 40 all the time. That was a strategic decision made by him and his agent. So the way you really want to set this up is you want to set it up via traits. So let's frame this conversation as best as we can. The things you are trying to see from a prospect as far as traits determine where you're going to place these drills. Every single one of these drills goes in one of the following buckets, okay? Size, strength, speed, explosion, and agility. Those are the five buckets. And every single athletic testing drill drill goes in one of those five buckets. So, let's start. Let's start with size. Okay. The obvious ones. Height, weight, arm length, Hand size. These are the size drills. They matter more for specific positions than other positions. There are specific thresholds that they're looking for. Quarterbacks, bigger than nine-inch hands. You want bigger than nine-inch hands. Isn't uh, like tackle arm length? Tackle arm length is a big deal. You know, you want to make sure longer is better, right? Some people have thresholds at 31. Some people have thresholds at 33, depending on the position. Defensive ends, defensive tackles, line play is big for arm length. Where you start to see arm length is line. Offensive tackles, defensive tackles, offensive guards, defensive guards. A lot of times you'll say, hey, you know, he played tackle at the at the college level, but his lack of length projects him to a guard. That's usually what they're talking about. They're not talking about leg length. <laughs> they're talking about arm length. They're talking about your ability to be able to have your hands on a defensive player without them having their hands on you, which is extremely valuable on the edge in the NFL. So arm length is big. Hand size, primarily referred to with tight ends, wide receivers, quarterbacks. Now, hand size matters for linemen because just basic physics, right? Mass times acceleration equals power and force. So if your hands are big, your punch is going to be more powerful. But as a general rule, you don't hear those kind of things talked about. Even though it's true, if you have gigantic hands as an offensive lineman, your punch is going to, it's going to hit harder. So that matters. But you don't hear it talked about as ad nauseum as you would for skill position players and ball handlers because hand size helps with ball security. In addition with a quarterback... Hand size decreases your margin for error on a throw. That's important. Buddy Nix talked about hand size all the all the time. E.J. Manuel, gigantic hands. Now, it is not 
that important. Like, it's not so important that you take someone because they have gigantic hands by any means. But the larger your hand size, the lower the margin of error on your throw, because the more part of the ball you're gripping. If you grip a higher percentage of the ball, your margin for error on the throw just went down because there's less likelihood that the ball is going to come out bad. And that's important when it comes to hand size. Russell Wilson, yeah, he's short, huge hands on Russell Wilson, right? I feel like there should be a giggity in here somewhere. <laughs> but, Sean, I remember Sean King, quarterback for the Bucks, mm-hmm. small hands. From Tulane, small hands. The epicenter of J.P. Lossman, Tulane University. Yeah. The green wave. Let's do it. Anyway, catch the wave, Tulane football, I remember. The 2004 draft class was a... That was a thing for me, man. I was I was all in on the 2004 draft class. I was not happy with the J.P. Lossman pick. I don't think I've ever been happy with the Bills, like, thrilled with the Bills quarterback pick. Well, I mean, they haven't done that many. I mean, Lossman, Manuel, Allen, right, Todd Collins. Like, these are the big ones since I've been following the draft. Levi Brown, downtown Levi Brown from Troy University in the seventh round. Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman was not overly thrilled with that. But that's the size thing. And that matters because you can't trust the size stuff you get from the colleges. You cannot trust it. Well, yeah, he's listed at 5'2", but uh, I don't think so. You know, he's listed at 6'6", but uh, I don't think so. And so that helps you clear up a lot of this stuff. And that's the size stuff. Okay, so let's do this before we move on from size. Quarterbacks, the big one that you're looking for on size is hand size. Height. And height. Okay. What about with... Uh, running backs is there anything with size that you care about very much with running backs hand size matters from ball security standpoint but you don't hear it talked about very much at all weight is important because you want you don't want to have somebody who's in the 170s 180s worry about some frailty real quick note on quarterbacks um it used to be the prototype was like 6'4 you want everybody to see 6'4 um now it's just like 6'2 you say, oh, 6'2". And that, that, that height thing is changing a lot. With Baker Mayfield, with Russell Wilson, with Kyler Murray, the theory on height has changed quite a bit in the NFL. Okay. What about at offensive line? What are the big like uh, thresholds that you keep an eye out for for size on offensive linemen? I'd like to see 33-inch arms for, for tackles. I'd like to see it ideally. You can, ha- you can have success without it, but it starts to go, okay, he's going to have to win in different ways. Right. One of my big concerns about Jonah Williams was his overall athletic profile means that he would have had to kind of be a David Bakhtiari. Right. And it's just it's not to say it's not possible for someone like that to be a really good left tackle. It's just lower probability. So you start to change the probabilities based on athletic profile. Isn't there a thing where linemen can be too tall? Yes. Linemen can absolutely be too tall. And it's just like quarterbacks. You know, no quarterback who's ever six seven has ever been any good in the NFL. It's because when you're really tall, your release is slower because your arms are longer. And so having that quick, compact release that you get in a shorter guy is actually starting to be viewed as a positive. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. And Lyman standing up out of their stance, right? Lyman standing up high, getting really high and letting people get what you call under their pads. That's a problem. So if you have a six foot nine offensive lineman, he better be able to he better be able to get get low and stay low out of his stance. With the center position having some of its unique responsibilities, touching the ball, you know, uh, delivering the hike, all that kind of stuff. Is there any size concern with centers? You know, I mean, I've it, never heard one come up. 
Okay. That doesn't mean that there's not that I'm just not familiar with, but I've never heard there be, well, you know, he's a center, but the hand size isn't quite, I've never heard that before. Okay. And then tight ends, it's primarily hand size? Yeah, obviously height and weight is important, sure. especially as you get some of these these tight ends who are elevated slot receivers. You get some of these people who come in, they're not really tight ends. They're just big slot receivers, you know, and they come in and they're 234 and you're like, okay, well, inline's going to be an issue. You know, if you come in and you're six, they're not, not big enough, right? If you come in and you're six two two thirty four, we're going to have problems putting you in line, right? Derrick Henry's bigger than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So too, yeah. too thin to handle a rusher. Exactly. Okay. So height and weight are always important because sure. you've got prototypes. Defensive line is this guy a five tech in a three four defensive scheme? Is he an outside rusher in a three four? Is he an edge rusher in a four three? People like AJ Epinesa, right? Probably going to weigh in in the two eighties. High 270s. You know, Rex Ryan would say he's a 3-4 outside linebacker. I'm taking a shot at Rex Ryan because he thought Shaq Lawson was, right? Shaq Lawson, very clearly not a 3-4 outside linebacker. He was clearly a base 3-4 end. And Rex was like, nah, nah, we'll put him as a 3-4 outside linebacker. He didn't have the size profile. You want those people from 240 to 260. You know, it's just, you know, when 265, 270-ish with heavy hands don't move well in space... You don't want that person standing as a three, up four, and yeah. occasionally having like zone responsibility. <laughs> right. That's a bad idea. Yeah, is not got, great, Bob. Not great, Bob. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you've got you know to talk about the size thing. I mean, if you have a guy who's two seventy, and that is you know a, a size you feel good about at defensive end, and we were talking about that big slot receiver who's pretending to be a tight end who's 234 and he's going up against a guy who's got 45 pounds on him yeah. and maybe is a you know uh, an inch or two shorter i mean that's a lot of man <laughs> yeah i'd like to see aj epinesa try, try to get blocked by hunter bryant right hunter bryant is a is a tight end you can't see me but i'm, I'm using air quotes tight end from washington and aj epinesa is probably 280 right that's not going to go well <laughs> it's just not going to go well at all so these things matter because of profiles. I mean, think about it this way. Ed Oliver weighed in at 287. A.J. Epinesa is a defensive end and is probably going to weigh in at high 270s, maybe? Low 280s? And he's an end. If you run 3-4 and A.J. Epinesa, you know already he's going to weigh in at that, right? But if you didn't know that, you're going to write him completely off as a, as a stand-up rusher. You say, okay, maybe he's a 5-tech in a 3-4. Or maybe you're crazy and you think he's a three tech and you bump him inside because he has, you know, he rushed from the inside a couple times in college. I wouldn't do that, but he's a clearly a base four three end. But this size, height, and weight stuff helps clear up some of this position questions. Okay. What about uh, interior defensive linemen and interior linebackers? Because I think outside linebackers, there's kind of this differentiation between whether or not you could potentially be a hand-in-the-dirt pass rusher or you're going to be a stand-up outside guy. With interior linemen and interior linebackers, what are some of the things there? It seems like there's a lot of variety. I mean, you've got a guy like London Fletcher and you've got a guy like Tremaine Edmonds. Here are two guys who played middle linebacker for the Bills who are completely different sizes. The days of the 265-pound, two-down middle linebacker thumper are basically gone. Kelvin Shepard probably wouldn't get drafted in today's NFL. If you're a middle linebacker and you can't cover, you just don't, there's just no place for you. That middle linebacker thumper, Brandon Spikes is really lucky he came out earlier in his career. Because if he came out now, it'd be a different story for Brandon Spikes. 
And so those two down thumpers for middle linebackers, if you weigh in at 265 and you're a linebacker, your value is going to tank because people are like, okay, you're a two down thumper. All right. So you we, better be really fast. Yeah. You better be able to do something because th- the way it works now is that it's more about what you can do at the linebacker position than what your body type is. You know, I want a Sam linebacker who can play into the line of scrimmage, who can initiate into the line of scrimmage, take on blocks, shed and make plays. And if that means you can do it, yeah, I want him a little bit thicker, a Sam 4-3 linebacker. I want him a little thicker. You know, I would like him in at least 230-ish. You know, if you get a 224, 225-ish linebacker, probably not. But it's one of those things where those archetypes are starting to die. And that's one of the big important things I want to talk about is that these thresholds are not what they used to be. The days of we need it to be X to be a quarterback. We need it to be Y. Those archetypes are dying as we move toward a less rigid positionalist NFL on offense and on defense. Wasn't size part of the reason that Matt Milano was drafted as late as he was? Yes, that's part of the reason. And it probably shouldn't have been. Also... There's some linebacker safety conversion sort of stuff. It, it, it was a whole another ball of wax. But Matt Milano is one of those players where you could probably only play him in a 4-3. Where are you going to play Matt Milano in a 3-4? You know, and that's, just, and that's not based on what his size is. That's based on what he does. Right? Matt Milano is a flow-to-the-ball guy. Voshan Joseph, very similar concept. So you and I have talked about this. I liked Voshan Joseph coming out. But there is some question now as to whether or not he can replace Lorenzo Alexander. My answer to that is absolutely, absolutely, 100% unequivocally no. Not because of size, though, because that's not what Voshan Joseph does. Voshan Joseph is a see ball, get ball kind of guy. And you and I talked about this when he got drafted way before we were even on Buffalo Rumblings. Voshan Joseph is see ball. Yeah, Voshan. Yeah, okay, get it. Okay, okay. go get ball. Okay, okay, get ball. Danny, right. uh, Danny Bateman from the uh, from the replacements. Absolutely, Danny. I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get you the ball. Are you gonna get me the oh, ball? I'll get you the, oh, get you the ball. Get the ball. I hope he doesn't kill somebody. Go get ball. Right. He is a weak side flow to the ball, run to the ball linebacker. He's not a stack and shed strong side linebacker. That's not what he does. It's the archetype is less about what you look like and more about what you do. And that's important because we we don't want to get so caught up in crossing people off our list because of the combine athletic measurements that we lose sight of the tape. And so it's about trying to figure out if we're, we're crossing things off, right? We're crossing things off, right? But don't get so excited to cross people off because... We're really trying to find out if they could do the things that we didn't see them actually do, right? You know what? This guy had his hand in the dirt, but we think he's a little undersized. I wonder if he can drop into coverage. Let's just see how he moves. That's what the combine helps you do. Well, yeah, I think what sometimes, sometimes I think what could happen, I I see it happen maybe a little bit, but I don't follow it enough to call it out when I see it. But I can imagine a situation where you've got, a player. I'll just use Bruce again. I'll just say Bruce. Bruce. So, so Bruce is six foot, two hundred and five pound safety, baby. Let's okay. do it. So let's say that Bruce is that, and Bruce on tape is showing the ability to do something consistently. Okay, but then he measures in a particular way that is 
uh, underwhelming. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden people forget that Bruce did this yes. the entire college season, right. that he has already displayed the ability to do it. But because his arms are a little short or because his 40 time was a little light, now people are saying, ah, I don't know if he can do it. Well, he showed us he could do it the entire season. Now, that's really important because your ability to do something at the pro level is different than your ability to demonstrate that at the college level. So that's important, especially when you deal with some of these D2 people. Yes, I dominated. Great. That's awesome. I'm an offensive tackle. I absolutely obliterated everybody I saw at the D2 level. But I have short arms and I have slow feet. I'm probably not going to dominate in the NFL. So it's, it's, a, it's a piece yeah. Right. But think, you can't overweight it. The DK Metcalf thing is great. Okay. You you remember you and I remember the DK Metcalf. Yeah, Why yeah. was I all out on DK Metcalf last year? What was my problem with DK Metcalf? He had no route tree. Right. Yes, but that wasn't the big thing. It's the medical. He had a neck injury. He had a foot injury. <laughs> like really big. Like don't want to have people have these types of injuries coming in. Right. Huge medical problems. Right. There were people who completely ignored the medical, but then when he ran a crappy three cone, they're like, I'm out. I'm out on DK Metcalf. You're like, well, but. You're out on him because of a three-cone drill? Like, I want to make sure you understand, understand this, right? The the massive neck concerns and the massive feet problems, that's not going to push you out. But the three-cone, that's going to push you out? Really? I had DK Metcalf as a third-round prospect last year because I was scared to death of his medicals. Not because I didn't think he was a dynamic player. Now, also, he came from a simplified offense, right? And... I was concerned that he wasn't going to be able to do be a full a full route tree guy, but more so than anything else, it was the medical. And the more I more I dig into Lavisca Chenault, I start to have very similar concerns about Lavisca Chenault. So the medical coming out of the combine on Lavisca Chenault will be very 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 important because I'm starting Lavisca Chenault is starting to fall on my board for the same reasons that DK Metcalf did because I'm scared to death of his medical. Yeah. There is a spectrum, right, where the D2 tackle with short arms and slow feet dominated versus the the linebacker from North Carolina could engage and get off blocks pretty well, but his arms were a little short. Now all of a sudden we think we can't do it. He, he was, I mean, there were bodies that were up on him and he was getting off of them. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty communicable like, yes. experience from the NFL to Division One. Yes. So, like, there are certain skill sets where you say – Okay, he put it, he showed it on tape, but it doesn't translate versus he put it on tape and it will. Absolutely. 100%. Because the question is, can they do these things in the NFL? That's the question. And sometimes it translates. Well, he did it in college, he can do it in the NFL, right? Sometimes it doesn't translate at all. And that's that's the inexact science of this. Is we're all trying to figure out, can this guy do X, Y, Z in the NFL? And this is part of the puzzle. What about defensive backs? Real quick before we move on. Defensive backs, are they similarly amalgamous with the measurables? Or are there still things where, you know, you, Antoine Winfield was small. That was always mm-hmm. a big knock on him. Now, he was an incredible tackler, which kind of made up for the difference maybe. But there, w- and I'm picking on Bill's players because, I, you know, that's – that's my wheelhouse for sure. And I'm sure that there are other examples of successful smaller corners, but that's where my mind goes initially. With defensive backs, you know, uh, I, I remember hearing like um, uh, the guy's name uh, went to uh, Indianapolis uh, from Temple last year. Uh, Rocky Sin, baby. Rocky Sin, right. Long, 
Yes. Like desirably long. Like if he is if he's in the vicinity and the ball is coming at a certain trajectory, the man may be able to get a hand on it, right? Are these things just pluses or are there some thresholds? Every single thing they do at the combine matters for defensive backs. Defensive backs are some of the best athletes on the planet. Like now and I okay, now I fully right, right, just fully admit biases here, okay? Let's have a discussion. I was a defensive back. I coach defensive backs. I have an affinity for defensive backs. I openly admit my bias. However, with that being said, defensive backs are the best athletes on the planet. They don't get any respect. So, literally everything on this list I care about for defensive backs. Height, weight, arm length, hand size, bench, 40-yard, 20-yard, 10-yard, vertical, broad, shuttle, three-going, all of it. I care about all of it. And all of it becomes an amalgamation. And very few people check every single box for these thresholds for defensive backs. Everything matters. What's the next category? Strength. Okay. Which is bench. But. Is there only one drill? Yes. That's it. Just bench. Isn't it? Is there a set weight? 225. How many reps of 225? Period. Period. No 230, no 220. 225. Now, this is important. We need to have this discussion because I see this every single year and I'm going to get ahead of it this year. Okay. Arm length matters when you talk about bench. Yeah, sure. Now, I would make an argument. We actually do this metric wrong. If you in a if you put Bruce in charge of the entire world, said, Bruce, what's the first thing you're going to change, right? The first thing I would talk about <laughs> is one of the things of the combine, okay? Because I'm glad your priorities are straight. <laughs> absolutely. Football above all else, man. So... The bench should really be amount of reps of 225 multiplied by your arm length. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. It because should be weighted. total distance traveled for the weight. Because people have short arms. They kill it. They kill it at the, two, two, at the 225 because they don't have as far to go. Yeah, the angle at which their elbow has to compress and then extend is different than Tremaine Edmonds. So I personally, if I was doing this, every time I look at bench, I look at bench and I multiply it by arm length because it matters so much more and if you think it doesn't matter talk to literally anybody about defensive tackles with short arms and how they always put up like 30 reps (laughs) and everyone gets really mad (laughs) so arm length 100% impacts bench and you should know that Nick and Nolan listeners because you're now well informed when you have um, a guy with long arms, a, a rangy guy like Tremaine Edmonds or Rocky Sin, who just are big guys for any position, but for their mm-hmm. position specifically, is there an expectation? Does it depend on the position group, kind of like how many you would l- still like to see? There's not hard, fast rules. It's really relative to your relative to your position and relative to your competition. You know, if one guy comes in, Vita Vea, of course was a defensive tackle who plays for the Buccaneers game, just came in and just absolutely just obliterated the bench, right? And that pretty much tracks. Like, when you look at it, you're like, yeah, no, he's he's a monster. That's, uh, that's about what I expected him to do, right? It's really not a hard, fast rule. It's really a, is it is it alarming? W- yeah, would there, I'm kind of surprised, I guess. I mean, you're going to see it in other drills perhaps but i imagine like i think of back in like rocky four when drago's punching the computer and they're getting like this pound per square the pound per square inch of his hit a normal heavyweight 
averages 700 pounds of pressure per square inch. As you can see, Drago averages 1,850 pounds. So the result's quite obvious. And what results are those? Whatever he hits, he destroys. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they don't do something like that for offensive linemen or for maybe even defensive backs because it could tell you what kind of jam they can get on you. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be it would be also a measurement of strength. That doesn't exist. No. Would you be in favor of that? I would be, but I understand why they don't. I the reason they don't is they're trying t- very hard to keep everything an even playing field for everybody and they're trying it to have it be something that is you can prepare for that. You know, everyone's going to go to their weight room and they're going to do benches. They've people, these people have been bench pressing since they were in high school. Some people middle school, they've been benching. Everyone knows how to do that. In addition, it eliminates a lot of variables. They have spots where they want your hands, right? And it's the same way for everybody. So it really, it takes a lot of the variability out of that. If you were adding something like that, like the you punch the bag and it gives you the pounds, right? Now you have to, people with different technique and how they use their well, legs it, and it, it, it changes it, a lot. It wouldn't be a punch. It would be out of a stance, you know, like the... Sure. The, the actual, we call it a punch, but what are the offensive linemen doing? They're, they're laying their hands on you with as much force as possible, right? And the NFLPA might have a problem with you smacking your hands against something like that. Which, as, I mean, as hard as you can. As hard as you can because sure. of injury risk and things sure. like that. Every year, we seems we have somebody tear a peck on the bench press, and there's a big discussion about whether or not they're being pushed a little too hard. So the fact that it's something they've been doing a billion times, it's, it's better safe than sorry is what it is. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it too. <laughs> yeah, I love the combine. That, that, I could see that montage where he hits that thing in that he's in that weird Russian laboratory with the you know the stereotypical Russian scientists in the white lab coats around Ivan Drago like he's bionic. If he dies, he dies. If he dies, he dies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's some good stuff. I think we have to call it there. I mean, really, this is just a is what you guys going to have to get used to. I mean, this is the this is the first half of our conversation. Part one. Part one. There will be a part two. It's coming tomorrow. Do we have like a to be continued soundbite? Yes. Until next time, America. Whatever it was, it just played. <laughs> I don't have it off the top of my head, so you, along with everyone else, will be surprised. I will be the only one who knows what that soundbite was. <laughs> before it lands on Thursday. So thank you very much, everybody, for joining us for this edition of Nick and Nolan Show. Please do, seriously, take a minute and check out, at least look at the 26 shirts thing. They also brought back the Electric Company shirt that they had a long time ago that's in the Hall of Fame. And they revived that because Matt, his trade was he was an electrician. So we thought it was, they thought it was a fitting tribute. And, you know, again, I think a brilliant move by Dell and all of his partners. So take a look at that. Uh, thank you for listening to this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. And we we know this is hard, but you're going to have to wait for us to continue talking about the other three buckets tomorrow. I just have one word of wisdom, I, one little thing, you know, a little nugget that I hope will hold you over uh, just until midnight tomorrow night. And it's this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. Cha-cha.